All right, good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, we're glad you're here. Listen, this week has been uh, really for, for many of us, it's been a crazy week, obviously towards the latter part of the week. Uh, we started to hear about on Thursday just the devastation that happened in France, and as Michael already prayed for them, uh, continue to do that. And, and we realize that we're living in a world where it seems like whether it's these big national and international calamities, or even on, on a local level when we have personal calamities, and there's been a lot of that happening as well within our community. Uh, but whenever we have those, those situations, it just feels like the world is, is, is literally getting out of control. And it's, it's really necessary for those people who follow Christ who say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus and I want to follow him, to in the midst of whether it's international calamity, national calamity, local calamity, or personal calamity, to say, even though it seems like my life around me is falling apart and, and, and there's a lack of control in the world around me, that I have to start to exhibit the characteristics of, of being in control. Even when it seems like everything else is out of control, I want to be in control. And that's what this series has been kind of about is, is how do we figure that out? You see, when we look at this utter devastation, and sometimes in the midst of stuff like we saw this week, we look and say, okay, what is, what is the answer? Like people are trying to have a political answer to say, here's what has to happen. And depending on which side of the argument you're on, they're convinced my way is the right way. And there's two things that I know. Uh, number one, the only answer for all the calamity in the world is the grace that God offers. Like we just sang songs about God reaching down in the midst of our, all the stuff we're dealing with, in the midst of our sin, and showing grace in that scenario. And the only hope for our world is the same grace to enter into all those situations and provide freedom in the midst of that calamity. That's the only hope for the world. But the second part of that equation is to say, once I have made a decision, a personal decision, to follow Jesus. And if that's where you're at right now, if you've made that decision... And I'm not saying that the day you make that decision, that right away everything is perfect in your life. In fact, if, if you've been taught that, or if you think that, that's, that's dead wrong. But once we make a decision to follow Christ, the Spirit of God comes and He lives inside of us and He dwells inside of us. And, and He is functioning in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. And, and we have to start to surrender control of our life to Him. And as soon as we start to do that, as soon as we start to say, man, I want to make much of Jesus in my life then it's not that our control issues go away. We still can struggle with this. But it starts to become easier and easier. And in fact, uh, the mark of maturity in the life of the believer is that we start to exhibit more and more control the longer we walk with Christ. And so if you've been journeying with Jesus for some time, then part of the maturity is to say, I'm starting to discover what it means in my life that when I face personal tragedy, when I face the stuff that's happening in my workplace or in, in my city, that people start to not only watch my behavior and how I react, but they also start to say, I want your opinion. I, I want to know how do you, in the midst of all this stuff that's happening, how do you find what the Bible calls a peace that passes all understanding? And I saw this when I was really uh, pretty young. I was in third grade and I had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Bates. And I remember she had been teaching for probably 40 or 50 years. Like she is towards the, the latter part of her teaching career. And she's still teaching third graders. I don't know how at that age she had the patience to deal with all of our third graders. I'm just, I'm just being honest. But Mrs. Bates was, was phenomenal. The, the, the patience that she had with her class and with our class was, was really incredible. And I remember her coming back. She was, I think it was a Friday. She missed class and she had a doctor's appointment. And she came back on Monday and she started to share the story about what happened. And she said, I actually pulled up to the doctor's office. And as I pulled up to the doctor's office, um, I, I realized that my car was smoking, and I, I went to look and examine a little bit further, and my car had actually caught on fire. 
and, and she didn't really know what to do, and it's the, before the era of cell phones and all of that. So she walks into the doctor's office, and she's not frantic. She's not freaking out. She walks up, gets the receptionist's attention. She's like, excuse me, can I borrow your phone? My car's on fire. <laughs> and everyone else is like, wait, what? Your car's on fire? Like, because that's how we expect people to react. Like, my car's on fire. She walks in and says, can I borrow your phone? My car's on fire. And then they, they call the fire department. The fire department shows up. And Mrs. Bates walks over, sits down in a chair, and just starts to wait for her appointment. <laughs> and everyone is watching her. And someone walked up to her and said, ma'am, I don't mean to be rude, but how can you be so calm? When your car is on fire, like, 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 like what, what's going on? And she had a chance to share. She's like, listen, I can't control. I don't know what to do about the fire, but I got a doctor's appointment. And I don't know Jesus has control of my life, so I'm just going to wait here for the doctor to call me. Um, how do we have peace in the midst of all this craziness that's around us? Well, it begins with us saying, I need to learn how to control my life. And for a lot of us, control is an issue. Uh, we've been talking through this series in the book of James, chapter 3 in particular. Uh, and, and James begins chapter 3. The whole, the whole teaching in the book of James, he's writing to a church. Everything we talk about today, I want you to understand, because we're going to get into some stuff. He's writing to people who are already believers, who, who should be getting this right. But he says, listen, it took me a long time to become a believer. And now that I am a believer, I want to make sure that we as believers get this right. And, and so if you're here, and if, if you're on the fence, I know that in the room this size, there's probably some people who say, I'm here, I'm not sure about the Jesus thing. First of all, we're glad that you're here. We exist as a church specifically with you in mind. And there's something for you today, because as you look at this, it's going to teach us, if, if we're supposed to be following Jesus, this is how our response should be in the midst of those situations. So if you're sitting there, and maybe it's because someone in your past life, uh, maybe a, a former teacher or someone you had in contact that you were working with in, in life that they said they were a believer and they didn't have control issues. And maybe that's what's stepping in your way right now of you becoming a believer. We're going to look at Scripture to say, today to say this is how we should respond in those situations. This is the wisdom we should seek in those situations. So if that's where you're at, great. We're glad listening on this. But especially today, if you're a believer, this teaching is written specifically with you in mind. Even though it might not seem like it at first, it's written to the church about how we should seek out wisdom in our life. So in James chapter 3, we're going to finish up the chapter this morning, picking up in verse 13. And it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the, in the meekness of wisdom. I love the fact that in this whole chapter, James has been talking about how to have control. The whole book is about having you know, how our faith works itself out. But in, in this chapter, he gets into this idea that if we can control our tongue, we control everything about our body. And as we get into 13, it becomes more and more practical in, in just how all of our life is affected by this. And he says this, he says at the end of this verse, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I've talked about this word meekness before because I think for a lot of us, for me growing up, I misunderstood what the word meekness was about. Uh, when I heard the word meek, I often thought of my father, and, and my father wasn't typical, like the, the strong, really doing a lot with the work type stuff. My dad was a faithful worker and all that stuff, but he wasn't really like the strong man's man. And, and so when I heard the word meekness, I thought of, about my father, and, and I thought, is, is that what meekness is, where it's not that, that strong, powerful uh, idea that we see in, in Scripture and in some people's lives? But here's the idea of, of, of meekness. Meekness isn't weakness, but it's power under control. Get that? Meekness isn't weakness, 
but it's when we have power. And as I got older, I started to see that's how my dad was. My dad had power. He just knew how to control that power. So if we're dealing with control issues, which James knew that we're going to deal with, right in the midst of that, he says, by his good conduct, by the way we show the faith that we have, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But it begins just by giving us two words. It says, who is wise and understanding among us? You see, it would be really, really neat in this world if all it took was wisdom. If all it took was knowledge. See, we gather together as a church, and whether it's a church on Sunday morning, if you're involved in our family groups during the week, or if you're involved in Bible studies, when we gather together, the main reason why we gather together is to impart wisdom. We want to talk through knowledge. And so we pass on information, we pass on knowledge, and it would be great if knowledge was enough for us to get by. Like if there didn't have to be any work associated with it, if, if knowledge was all it took, then losing weight would be really easy. See, because we know what to do, eat healthy, work out regularly, and you're going to do pretty well. I don't think there's a person here that didn't know those two things. If you do those two things well, you're going you're gonna to lose weight, and you're going to be healthy. The problem isn't our knowledge. The problem is our application. See, knowledge without application is rendered meaningless. And so what happens is we gather together as a church and say, we want to be receivers of spiritual knowledge. We want to be able to take this stuff in. And the same thing was true if we're trying to develop in our life some, some sort of spiritual growth. Like, it's not rocket science. There are things we know that we should do. Knowledge isn't the problem. If I sat here and asked most of us today, what are some ways you can grow spiritually? We're probably going to come up with answers like, well, I should probably be reading my Bible. I should probably be praying. I should probably be going to church and plugging into family group, looking for opportunities to serve. Like these things that we have happening over and over, it's not knowledge that's the problem. But at some point, we have to go from knowledge, which is the information that we receive, to having some sort of intention for growth. So what happens is right now we're receiving knowledge. Throughout the message, there's a bunch of knowledge that leads to some sort of intention in our life. See, at the end, there's normally some sort of practical way, hey, we want you to do this. And it's not that you're doing it right away during the service. Very rarely is there something that we, and sometimes that happens, but very rarely does it happen during the service. But it's saying that we want to go from knowledge to having some sort of intent to do something with that knowledge. So we finish up a message, and we kind of wrap it up, say, hey, here's a practical way you can do that this week. And for a lot of people, I believe, because I've sat there many, many times, and I sat there and I said, you know what, that is a great idea. I want to do that this week. And we have the intent to do it, but then life gets in the way, and that action never actually happens. Has anybody ever done that before, or is it, is it just me? Like, you leave a service saying, yeah, I'm going to do that this week, and then life happens, and we don't get around to do it. I love Andy Stanley, for me, is the greatest communicator of our generation. And Andy Stanley has a principle, he calls the principle of the path. And he says, direction, not intention, determines your destination. In other words, if this is where you want to go, and you say, my intention is to get there, until you start to take the steps in your life to start to head towards that destination, your intention alone is never going to get there. Again, if we go back to the losing weight analogy, I could sit there and say, I know I should work out, I know I should eat healthy, and now it is my plan, starting January 1st, because we're only like a month and a half away. January 1st, it is my intent 
to start to eat healthier and it's my intent to start working out regularly, that is great. And if intention alone helped you work out and lose weight, that'd be great, but it doesn't work out that way. See, because there's, there's knowledge, there's intention, but the final piece of the puzzle is the application. It's when I know what I should be doing. And I say, now that I know what the knowledge is about, and I have some intent to do it, it's at some point in my life saying, now it is the time, push has come to shove, and now is the time that I'm moving from having knowledge in my life to having some intent for there to be growth. Finally, now I'm applying that growth into my life. And so James here is writing to the church. He's writing to people just like you and me. And he says this, he says, who is wise, but not just wise, but who is wise and has understanding among you? If we have both those things, if we have wisdom, which is the knowledge, but then understanding, which is the intention and application of that knowledge, once I realize that, who is wise enough to start to put these things into practice? To that person, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then we get to verse 14 and things get real. And let me erase this because he's going to start to talk about wisdom for a second. And there's, there's two things I have to say when we talk about this idea of wisdom. First of all, as, as he just described here, if, if by, when he says who is wise and understanding, he's talking about what we think of as wisdom. And then he's going to contrast it beginning in verse 14 with a word, with a key word at the beginning of verse 14. And that word is the word. Verse 14, it says, but... If you have bitter jealousy. So in contrast, for easiness for us to understand the chart that I'm about to draw up here, and hopefully you'll be able to see this, but, but for us to, uh, to better understand this, it's going to be very easy at the beginning to say, on this side of the ledger are people who are unwise. I say that because it's easier, but it's not exactly fully the, the, the full picture. Because here he says, but, but for those, in contrast to the people who have wisdom... But in contrast, if the people over here who are unwise, and watch the markings of people that are unwise. It says about people that are unwise. It says that if they're unwise, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So if they're bitter jealousy, and if they have selfish ambition. So he's saying if we're unwise, or a better word we're going to get to in a second is where our wisdom comes from. But if, but if we are unwise, or if, or if our wisdom is an earthly wisdom, then, then the, the results of that is for us to have bitter jealousy in our life and for us to have selfish ambition. And he says, if that is true of you, and we'll get to this a little bit later in a second, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So he says, this, it's not so much that this is unwise, but that this is an earthly and unspiritual wisdom. And that the result of this in verse, verse 16 says, For where, selfish, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So he says, if this is what we're practicing, if we're practicing earthly, unspiritual wisdom, the result of that is that we're going to be jealous, we're going to have selfish ambition, and that the byproduct of that is going to be disorder and vile practice. 
Now, this is a lot of information, but what it's saying, and, and I want us to get this, because these people aren't necessarily what we consider bad people. Sometimes there are people that are bad and evil and wicked, but a lot of times these people aren't bad people. They're people that are trying to be wise. In fact, most people, if I have a conversation with them, and they're facing a big life decision, and they made their decision, if I ask them the question, do you think that's a wise decision, what do you think their response is going to be? Yes. Most people think I'm being wise. When I make a decision, I want to take in all the information, and I want to make an appropriate decision. The problem is not that they're unwise. The problem is where their wisdom comes from. And who did I say James is speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. This isn't some crazy people out there. These people who have who've been grappling with the truth and saying, I love Jesus and I want to follow him. And he says, the problem is we are still prone to seek out earthly wisdom. We're still prone to seek out unspiritual wisdom. And it, at the time, it looks right. At the time, it seems like, yeah, this makes sense. This is what I should do. The problem is the result of that is I start to look for things that please myself. I start to look for selfish ambition. I start to look for this. And what it produces is bitter jealousy in my life. And the byproduct of all of that is that there is disorder and there's every vile practice. And the thing is, we, that's not our intention. Our intention in the beginning is, is not, I don't want to go there. I don't want there to be disorder. I don't want there to be vile practice. I don't even want there to be jealousy and selfish ambition in my life. Like, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to make the wise choice. The issue isn't whether or not we want to make the right choice. The issue is, where does our wisdom come from? See, knowledge plus intention leads to application. When I start to seek out God's knowledge, I say, I don't want to have jealousy. I don't want to have selfish ambition But in contrast to all that, and and I want to say this before we go on. If we go back, I said we get back to this. In verse 14, it had said, If you have these things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's speaking to the church, and he's saying, Listen, if this is where you're at, if you become aware that what you're seeking out is an earthly wisdom, don't go bragging about your faith. Don't go boasting about the truth because the world is going to look at you and you're going to say, hey, I'm following Jesus and I've been going to church and I'm really excited about this. And the world's going to look at you and say, yeah, but I see in your life, I still see jealousy. I still see selfish ambition and I still, leading to, I still see it leading to a byproduct that doesn't look good. And so he says, church, he says, I love you. I miss this for a long time. But if this is where you're at, if you're seeking out a wisdom that comes from, from the earth, if you're seeking out looking for your own selfish gain, all those things, if you're seeking a wisdom that is unspiritual, please don't brag about your faith because you're doing all of us a disservice. But in contrast to that, he says there's a separate wisdom. Here was the wisdom that comes from the earth. We pick up in verse 17. People who are wise... And I want us to look at the list that we're about to read. Because we read a couple of things here. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And I want us to look at the list that we're about to read for those who are wise. In light of two things. I want us to look at this list in light of what we saw over here. But also in light of when you see chaos in the world around us today. When you see bitter jealousy. When you see selfish ambition in the world around us today. James is writing saying, but if if we're going to really follow Jesus. Here's what following Jesus should look like. Now watch this list. The wisdom from above is first pure. That means when people look at us, 
if we're seeking out a wisdom that comes from above, if we're seeking out how to be in control and not have control issues, it begins first by saying, God, I want your wisdom produced in my life, a life that is, that is pure. That means, that means it's not that we're ever going to be perfect, but it means that we're going to be free from just the stuff that clouds up our life today and is so easy to distract us. He says, first, your life should be marked by purity. The second thing is that you should be peaceable. Literally, the word there, peaceable, means you should be peace-loving. You should love peace. We're going to get more to that in in just a little bit. But we should be peace-loving in our life. The third thing is that we should be gentle. We should love people, and we should not be quick to fight. Then it says that we should be open to reason. Not so stubborn that we're not willing to listen to truth around us. And not so stuck in our, and set in our ways that we're not going to listen to counsel from people uh, that should be speaking truth in our life. We should be open reason. We should be full of mercy. And we should be impartial. It's interesting. He always throws in again the word impartial. If you were here early on in the series we talked about, James begins by saying this is the mark of what it means to be a believer, that we're not showing favoritism to other, to other people. It doesn't matter. A person that walks in your church doesn't matter what they look like, what they dress like. We show them the same amount of love. So he says our, our lives be marked by this, by mercy, by impartiality, and finally by uh, sincerity or authenticity. Now he, he puts together this list. And it's interesting because if, if we were just to look at our life right now and we're to say, okay, I know there are times, and, and for any one of us, if we're honest, there are times our lives are marked by the earthly, unspiritual wisdom. We make a decision, and the things that we weigh into the, the decision we make are, hey, what, what are going to be in the best interest of me or in the best interest of my family? And, and sometimes it's very cloudy how we make that decision. But there are times we know we make this decision. And then we look over here and say, but what about the decision I just made is pure? What is, what is peaceful? What is gentle? What is open to reason? What is showing mercy? What is showing impartiality? What is showing the authenticity that I have about my faith. One of my favorite series, one of my favorite conversations we've had this year uh, was early on this year. And, and, and I made this statement. It kind of stuck with me. Kind of my focus for this year has, has been when Jesus came here on earth, he came to establish a whole new order of doing things. He came to establish a whole new currency about how we did things. A whole new economy. And its currency was love. Jesus came and set up this whole new way of doing things. And he says, listen, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. We talked about last week, by the way that you love one another. This is how the world's going to know that you care about them, by the way that you love them. By saying, this is how our life should be. But instead, our life is marked by this. And if the byproduct of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is disorder in every vile practice. The final verse of chapter 3 says this. If we do these things, if we have purity, peaceability, gentleness, if we're open to reason, if we have mercy, impartiality, and sincerity, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we say we want this all to be a part of of our life. And unlike the byproduct of this, which is disorder and vile practice, the byproduct of this is to say there's now a harvest of righteousness in our life. Well, what does that mean? That means that when we try to do the right thing, God starts to bless us for doing the right thing. And that blessing comes one of two ways. Often, it's just God blesses us just in saying, I know now 
that I was living this way before Jesus came, he redeemed me. And now that harvest of righteousness is that God has changed my life entirely. And, and, and that alone is enough for me right now. Like I'm experiencing that harvest personally in my life. And then every once in a while, and this isn't promised, but every once in a while, because of the effect that God has in, in my life, I have a chance to, to sow seeds into somebody else's life. I have a chance to, to, to speak truth into their life. And God, because of, of the effect of, of our story, because of the effect of our testimony, other people are one to faith in Jesus because of what we did. Why? Because you say we want to be sincere about our faith. We want to be real about this thing because God has delivered us from so much. And so what happens for my teacher, she was just a gentle, calm woman. She sat down with fire in her car outside and she had a peace about her life and, and people asked her, like, how could you be so peaceful while your car's on fire? And she had a chance because of a small thing that happened, which was a big thing for them at that time, to be able to share her faith with people who had no idea who she was 10 minutes ago. Why? Because in the midst of calamity, people around us are looking for peace. In the midst of turmoil, people are looking for hope. And so we have to be the ones that are the ones that are to bring that. Peace comes not in control of our situation, but in the surrender of our will. I can't control my situation. Mrs. Bates couldn't control her car being on fire. But she could control her response to that, surrendering her will to God. And part of that is over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus is speaking part of the Beatitudes. And he says this. Matthew 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the people, we already said over in James 3, people that are peaceable, people that, that love peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Because when people look at us and they see a lack of peace in our world, and then they see us out there being the peacemakers, they say, I want to have whatever it is that you have, because the world seems like it's prone on war, but you seem very different. The currency that you use is very different. This currency that we have is the currency of love. And so Jesus comes and says, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those that love peace, for they shall be called the sons of God, because when we do that, we reflect the love that God has for us. So how do we do that in a practical way? How do you and I become the, the peacemakers for our world? You see, this week, like the end of the week, everything was caught up, and it should have been. Everything was caught up on what was happening in Paris. But earlier this week, there was something that was generating a whole lot of controversy. The small red cup. Like, did anybody else get sick of hearing about this red cup all week long? Like, by the second day, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Um, everyone got all upset about a cup, and it was, it was crazy. See, there's this pastor that shot a video, and he was mad at Starbucks for not saying Merry Christmas or not putting Christmas on their cup. And he shot his video about all the stuff that he was going to do, and it kind of went viral. And here's the thing. This guy's a former pastor. He's actually like an internet celebrity now that... He actually gets uh, paid every time someone shares that video. So for him, even though everybody's getting mad at him, it was making him money <laughs> along the way. Uh, so he, I, I think, part, I can't judge his heart, but I think part of it was when he generate controversy, he, he's making money off of that. So I don't know if that was his intent or not, but that's what happened. But the thing that kind of hit me, two things hit me as we kind of started to see this whole thing unfold. Uh, number one is we get upset about stupid things. Like, I'm just watching this, and I'm like, really, we're going to get upset about a cup? Like, <laughs> later on in the week, we had something to get upset about. 
But we're not going to get upset about a cup. Like, that's just is, is dumb. But then on the flip side, I started to see something happen. Because he kind of shot this video, and I saw this uproar. Like, people got, even other Christians got really mad. Said, how could you respond that way? And, and they wrote blogs, and they posted pictures, and all of this stuff. And, and I want to share all this because I think on the other side, if he wasn't a peacemaker, I'm not sure the response was very much being peacemakers either. I'm just, both sides, I'm like, whoa, this is kind of blowing out of control. But I love, there's this, there's a guy by the name of John Acuff. He's a great communicator, uh, awesome speaker, and he's kind of, he's another guy that's on the internet a lot. He posts some really pithy statements. But he said this, and I love this. He says, I'll worry about if Starbucks says Merry Christmas as soon as we Christians find homes for all orphans, comfort all widows, and feed all poor. See, we get so caught up in controversies. And I'm convinced that this guy shot this video, and and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was fired up and he thought, man, we need to make a difference, and, and this is our way of making a difference. But then on the other side, there are people who said, I want to be culturally relevant, and I want to make a statement that it's okay for Starbucks to have a red cup, and, and I'm going to come out, I'm going to support Starbucks, and in fact, I'm going to go buy Starbucks even more because of this, and they thought, I'm going to be culturally relevant, I'm going to write a blog about this. Well, that's not really doing anybody any good either. So this morning, I drove over, to, I dropped my daughter off, she was working in the booth, and, and I drove over to get a Starbucks this morning, and, and I... I, I got her a, a vanilla frappuccino and then I got myself a I'm not a big coffee fan at all so I got like the skinny hot chocolate <laughs> which that's kind of like an oxymoron right there isn't it what's skinny about hot chocolate <laughs> but I got the skinny hot chocolate the thing was I, I went up to to go pay for an order and and the Starbucks lady she's like hey don't worry about someone already paid for you I'm like, all right that's in a small way that's a tangible way of making a difference but we don't make a difference by going out and protesting something. We don't make a difference by writing a blog protesting the protester. Like, like really, none of, none of those things really made a difference. All it did was show how well Christians can argue with each other. We make a difference by saying, what is the greatest need in the world around us? If Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, then what do we do in, in our world right now to be a peacemaker? What can you and I do in a tangible way? Now, there are some small ways we can do that. And go out and, and pay it forward. Buy someone else's Starbucks. If you don't like Starbucks, buy them Dunkin' Donuts. I don't care. Today, right after this service, uh, we're going to meet with anybody who wants to volunteer for Thanksgiving outreach. Uh, this is a big deal. One of the things I love is there's not often times that you get to see churches working well together. Thanksgiving outreach is one of those chances we have to work with other churches in our community to make a difference, to feed 5,000 families on Thanksgiving Day. And literally, some of you have been there before. You've delivered meals to people's homes as part of Thanksgiving outreach. And whether you can help out Thanksgiving morning, putting all the food together, because it's a, it's a big chore to get all that stuff together, or even helping out during the week leading up to it. They need help opening up cans and cooking food and all that stuff. Sandra, the leader of that outreach, is going to be here right after this service to meet with anybody that wants to volunteer. Uh, so as, as soon as we're done, we encourage you to come down front, sit down front. She's going to share some information and give you a chance to sign up for that and where you want to serve this morning. But it's looking for opportunities to say, I, I don't want to protest and I want to protest the protesters. I want to make a, a tangible difference. Because I believe fully the songs that we sang this morning talk about the love of God reaching down to us where we're at. And the only way that we can be communicators of that message is say, God, you have rescued me. Help me be in control of my life, not to want to build up selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. 
But God, let me build up in my life purity and peaceability and gentleness. And let me be open to reason. And let me be full of mercy and impartiality and sincerity. God, let those be the marks of my life. Because I want the fruits of my life to be sown in this righteousness. God, I want, I want to see that response in the world around me. Because I want my life to be marked by peace. If I do that, I want to finish up with these verses. If I do that, before I do that, I, w- I want to say this, because this is kind of the, the big idea, what we're talking about today. Control in my life is discovered when I surrender control of my life to Jesus. Like entirely, this whole series has been about this idea right here. Control in my life is discovered when I, contr- when I surrender control of my life to Jesus. That's the big idea of what we're trying to accomplish, and we want to make sure we get that right. And if we do that, Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, it says this. Talking about control of our life and control of our tongue. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So in the way that we communicate, get all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Be all that be put away along with all malice. Let's not look to, to trump each other and to beat each other up. But in place of that, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted to one another. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. How do we respond? How do we make a difference? When we face the protesters and the protesters and the protesters, we respond by saying, I want to make sure that I'm kind to one another. I want to make sure that I have a tender heart. I want to make sure that I forgive one another because God in Christ Jesus forgave me. And he reaches down and offers that hand of grace to me. And as he does that for me, it becomes incumbent upon each of us who today name the name of Christ. To say, I want to reach down and extend the same hand of grace to the world around us. That maybe through something that I do, or better yet, through a word that is spoken, I can share the great news of what Jesus has done in my life. God, give us that measure of control. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I know that as we gathered, uh, much of what we talked about this morning was, was geared towards, this is what the church should be embracing but God, my prayer this morning is maybe there's someone who's, who's here who's never experienced the good news of who Jesus is. God, I want to be clear in our message that it is not the things that we do that earn our salvation, but it is you and what Jesus did dying on a cross that reaches down to us to show us grace. And God, if there's someone this morning that hasn't embraced the message that Jesus died to free them of their sins, God, I pray that today would be the day, that now would be the moment that they call on Jesus as their Savior and accept Him. And God, for those who have, it's very easy for us to get caught up in this worldly wisdom. There's so much competing for our heart and our affection and our attention. It's so easy for us to pursue things that their end product is selfish ambition. Their, their end product is this bitter jealousy. God, I pray for us to repent of that. To turn towards seeking out your wisdom that God at, at, at our aim, our chief end is, is to glorify you. And so God, I pray if, if we fall into the trap of seeking out our earthly wisdom and seeking out what we want, God, I pray that we surrender and repent of all of that and we surrender our life to you, surrender our ambitions to you. And God, that when we surrender control of our life to you, that's when we start to discover what peace is all about. God, give us that peace. Give us that yearning for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.